Welcome back to the Unbiased Fan Podcast. Boy, what a game we had on Sunday, huh? And you know exactly what game I'm talking about, too. It was the game of the year. We are going to spend so much time talking about the Vikings' huge win in Buffalo, as well as Kansas City looking as scary as ever, and the longtime talking point of my podcast, the Green Bay Packers, with a surprising outcome on Sunday, as well as Monday night's huge game between Philadelphia and Washington. This is a huge podcast. So much to talk about. Don't go anywhere. Before we start talking about the games on Sunday, I want to ask everyone who enjoys the show to please leave a review. Please leave a rating on this show for this podcast. I'm on Twitter now at unbiasedfan, all one word. Please follow me there. Tell your friends so we can grow this podcast as passion project of mine, something I'm really, really caring about. I want to make it bigger and better. Just want to throw that out there. Follow me on Twitter. Tell your friends about that. Okay, with that out of the way, let's all take a moment to breathe really take in what a treat of a game that was on Sunday. That's like, let's reflect and ponder about how good of a game that was between the Vikings and the bills. That was the game of the year. Hands down. Everyone seems to confirm it. Everyone seems to agree about it, which is really rare in social media and in sports media for everyone to agree on one thing, but that was the game of the year. And I'm going to say that was the best game I've seen since the Chiefs-Bills playoff game last postseason. This was the most exciting game, the most drama, the most unbelievable, what the hell, how did that happen? This game should have ended seven different times. And the funny thing is, this wasn't looking like a great game at halftime. Even through the third quarter, this game wasn't looking like a great game. So how can this game be the great game? Well, we're going to break it down and we're going to talk about it. The score was 27-10 to 10 in favor of Buffalo with just under two minutes left in the third quarter. So think about that. Buffalo is up 17 points with 17 minutes of football left. That's a... That's a lot of points to make up in a very, very short period of time. I think we can all agree on that, right? So at this point, the Vikings offense had fallen apart. This Vikings offense did not look very good when it's 27 to 10. Minnesota scored a touchdown on their first drive. But since then, they had gotten just three points and the Bills went on a 27 to 3 run. That is a massive run. You don't even see that kind of run in basketball, let alone football. And at this point, I thought the game was over. I thought this was your typical Vikings game where they've, you look, they've played mostly bad teams all year. They've been all one possession games. They've fallen behind in seemingly every single game they've played. And the games that they've won, they've looked ugly. They really haven't faced a super legit opponent that they've beaten. Everything just kind of seemed to confirm Minnesota, despite their record, isn't a great team. And Cousins especially looked bad. I mean, I thought I thought this game was being played at night. I thought for some reason Buffalo was even further out east in the time zone because it felt like a night game. It felt like primetime Cousins was playing quarterback. It was it was that bad. He had two just absolutely terrible interceptions. Unforgivable, uh, unexplainable, just terrible, terrible interceptions. The first one, he just overthrew his receiver right in the middle of the field, and that's the one thing you can't do. If you have a receiver crossing over in the middle of the field, the one thing you can't do is you can't throw it super high over the receiver's head because there's usually a safety back there, and he's just going to be a ball hawk and eye it out, and it looked like he threw the ball right to him. It was terrible. And then the, that wasn't even the worst pick. The second interception is just, it's, it's, it's so bad. It is so bad that the only quarterback I could see making a mistake that bad, besides Kirk Cousins, is Jimmy Garoppolo. It, it was that bad. And, and the second interception, let me, let me set the stage. Let me kind of give some, a little bit of setting here. Let you kind of get a reminder, refresher, because so much happened in this game that we really have to go back and like watch the highlights to realize everything that happened, because this was a great game. 
Bills are up 24 to 10. Vikings have the ball. It's the first possession after halftime. So it's for either team. So Vikings get the ball after halftime and they've make it, made a pretty decent drive. They're moving down the field. They're around the 37 yard line of Philly. So right there, pretty close to field goal range. And this is this is exactly the kind of drive that Minnesota needed. Well, I was thinking, I was watching, I tweeted out that Minnesota needed a score on this their first drive to really get back into the game, to snatch some of the momentum. And it looked like everything was going where they would get at least three points. But you really wanted a touchdown, but they were at least going to get three points. Ah, boy, instead, Cousins is in the pocket. He's looking to his right. The pocket kind of collapses. It's not a terrible collapse, but he's feeling the pressure. He, he's feeling it, and he knows, I got to get rid of the ball, which is good because as a quarterback, you do have to have that clock in the back of your head that's ticking, saying, okay, I can't hold the ball this long. I need to get rid of it at some point. And he turns suddenly, like real quick to his left, and he simply threw it to who he thought was a Vikings receiver, but was instead a Bills defender. That's the only way to describe it, is that he sees kind of in the peripheral vision a bunch of players to his left. He turns, he throws it, and then realizes, oh, shit. That guy is wearing blue, and our team is wearing white today. The Vikings never wear blue. They, they wear purple and white. Threw it to the wrong color jersey. It killed the drive, obviously, Killed the momentum, and I thought Buffalo would be able to march down the field, get a touchdown, and game would be over. Because at that point, it would be, if it's 24 to it'd be 31 to 10, and that, that's it. That's too much to go, too much to come back from, game over. But it wasn't game over. A big story here is how Minnesota's defense came out after halftime. They played phenomenally. They they forced a punt for Buffalo. Minnesota punted again because Minnesota's offense just can't seem to get going, and Buffalo got a field goal. So it's 27 to 10, 17 minutes of football left. Game is over. Field's over. Minnesota has just been a complete wreck on offense. Just absolutely terrible. But a little thing happened, and we've forgotten about this, but a little thing happened where Delvin Cook... Runs the ball for 81 yards for a touchdown. He makes one guy miss. He has a great hole for the offensive line. He makes one, I think it was a, a linebacker miss in the box, cuts, and then he just turns on the turbo. I mean, I don't know if he, it's like doing Mario Kart and you have the golden mushroom and you just mash the button a whole bunch because he was so much faster than the Bills defenders. It was laughable. Boom. Touchdown. Okay. 27-17. Game feels like Minnesota has a chance. They got a big home run play that they really needed. They're down by 10. Okay, let's see what happens. Let's see how Buffalo can respond. It's on this drive that Diggs has, at this point, what you might be able to call the catch of the year because it was fantastic. It was it was amazing. Diggs is in the middle of the field. He has to jump up as high as he possibly can. And he's a tall dude. Jump up as high as he possibly can. Extends his arm. And one hand catches it with the nose of the football right in his palm. Grasps it. Fully extended in the air. Lands. Amazing. He stands up and he like does his little his celebrations like where he stares at the, the sideline and kind of does a mini flex. It's, I really like it. I think it's pretty cool. It was at that point, I'm like, man, that's that's the best catch I might have seen all, all year long. Well, Justin Jefferson's like, hold my beer. We're going to talk about that later. We have a lot more to get to before we get there. Buffalo keeps marching down the field over and over and over again, and they get to the seven-yard line. And this feels like it's game over. It's fourth and two. Notice how many times I say game over in, in, when recapping this. It's fourth and two. Buffalo was up 27-17, and they decide to go for it. And, and my dad, I watch football with my dad every week, and he's upset. He's like, why don't they just take the free points? And usually, me and dad agree that you just take the points. So many coaches 
nowadays don't seem to want to take the points. They want to appear to, maybe they want to appear to be smarter. Maybe it's the analytics that they do or they have to justify things. But we're, I'm not old, but like we're just old school. It's like, just take the points. It's free points. Don't try and get too greedy. It's a gamble. However, I see both arguments here for why Buffalo should go for it. I really do. A field goal makes it a 13-point game instead of 10. So either way, it's still a two-possession ball game. Now, two touchdowns is a lot harder to get than one touchdown and a field goal, sure. But still, it's a two-possession ball game if you go for the field goal. But if you convert and score, it's game over. It is 100% game over because then it would be 34-17, you're down 17 points, game over, game over. And here's the big thing. If you don't convert, if you're Buffalo and you don't convert, the Vikings have the ball backed up in their own end zone. Bare minimum, unless you take a sack, is a seven-yard line. But if you get Josh Allen to run, you can maybe get him. If you don't score, maybe get to like the five-yard line and you're really backing them up. Buffalo's defense have been getting pretty good pressure on Kirk Cousins. You know Von Miller is going to be teeing off there trying to get a sack. You you can see both arguments this way, where if you don't get the, if you don't convert, Minnesota's really going to have to go down, go 95 yards, you know, to to score and they still are down 10 points. The one thing you cannot do in this spot is turn the ball over. And even a fumble would be not super detrimental in the spot. Like, let's say they try and <laughs> Josh Allen does like a quarterback sneak and fumbles. We're going to talk about a Josh Allen fumble later. But he runs, and instead of throwing it, he runs up and he fumbles the ball, and it's at like the four-yard line. Well, Minnesota still has the ball at the four-yard line. They're still backed up. The one thing you really cannot do is throw an interception in the end zone because they're either going to run it out or take the knee and they get the ball to 20. That's the one thing you can't do in that spot. And I'm sure the coaching staff said, hey, Josh, we know you know this. You're a smart guy. You're a smart quarterback. The one thing you can't do is force an interception. You cannot do that. And guess what? Ladies and gentlemen, Josh Allen, the anointed preseason MVP, the quarterback for the team that everyone thought would just waltz to the Super Bowl, seemingly a, a, an undefeated team that would go 17-0 and in the regular season and then 3-0 and in, in the postseason, win the Super Bowl. Everyone was on this bandwagon. Josh Allen, the unanimous MVP, threw an interception and saved the game for Minnesota. Josh Allen was able to move around in the pocket. He ran out to his right, trying to create something extra, which he's really good at doing. He's absolutely fantastic at doing that. But it's almost as if he's trying too hard and trying to make something happen that really isn't there. He throws in a double coverage and bails the Vikings out. Minnesota has the momentum there. They, they do run the ball. They get to like the 35-yard line. And all of a sudden, we have a fresh ball game here. So with that turnover... Minnesota's feeling good. They have a really, really good long drive. They convert two fourth downs on that drive. That's really impressive. Regardless of what you think of Minnesota and Kirk Cousins, converting twice on fourth down against this Buffalo defense. I need to, I haven't said this at all, but I need to state it here. This Buffalo defense is one of, if not the best defense in the league, and Minnesota converted twice on fourth down when they needed it the most. They get a touchdown, 27-23 after the missed extra point. And now we got a real ball game here. We got a real ball game. Buffalo is once again forced to punt with just over two minutes left. Buffalo sacks Cousins twice. They get him twice. Usually, if a quarterback gets sacked on a possession, it kills a possession. That's why sacks are such a valuable stat because it almost always leads to a punt. If you get sacked twice, I don't know what the stats are, but if you get sacked twice, it's got to be like a 75% chance that that drive ends in a punt or turnover. It's now 4th and 18. It's the two-minute warning. They're down by four. They have to go for it. Minnesota has to go for it, and they have to gain 18 yards. If Buffalo gets a stop, the game is over. 
18 yards. You know they're going to pass the ball. Minnesota has one truly elite wide receiver. They have great receivers all around, but Justin Jefferson is their dude. And we get the one of the best catches of all time. We get the best catch of the year, one of the best catches I've ever seen, and has to be in discussion for the greatest catch of all time. Justin Jefferson, oh my God. That was amazing. I'm watching this game. Kirk Cousins goes back. He feels the pressure. He steps up, and he throws a beautiful ball. And in Kirk Cousins' mind, I'm sure he's thinking, crap, Like this game is going to shit. This drive is... We, I, I just have to get the ball to my best player. In this kind of a situation, a do-or-die situation, the quarterback just needs to go, you know what? I need to throw the ball to my guy and let him make a play. That's what true number ones do. Not just, oh, you're the best receiver on the team. True number ones, elite wide receivers. This is what the quarterback does. We need 20 yards. I'm going to throw it to my guy and let him make a play. And boy, did Justin Jefferson ever make a play. He leaps up. He jumps up as high as he can. One hand catches it, gets tackled, holds on to the ball. It has. It doesn't move when it's cradled. He makes sure it doesn't hit the ground. He doesn't bobble it. And he, he just catches it, and he gets up. And, like, where's the, where's the celebration? He's just like, yeah, I just did that. Like, he plays it off so cool. Again, I'm I'm speechless. There are so many times in sports media where we say things like, that was incredible. That was amazing. That was one of the best things that gets used a ton, overused a ton, is I've never seen anything like it. That's a huge uh, term in sports media that gets used way, way, way too much. But I've never seen anything like that. And I can say that with 100% confidence that I've never seen anything like that. I was screaming. I was, I got up and I was like running around in my basement and I don't have a dog in either of these, in either of these teams. Neither of these teams are, are teams that I'm rooting for. I'm just there to watch a good game. I'm running around and I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe it. He caught it. How did he catch that fourth and 18? And my dad, who's usually very reserved when watching football games, was was he got up? He's on the edge of his seat. And he's just like, I can't believe it. I I can't believe what I just saw. He did what? All of those catchphrases. It was absolutely amazing. And Justin Jefferson is the best receiver in the National Football League. He he just is. He is a stud. He has clutch genes. He like you can be a great receiver, put up great yards. Great stats, but are you? Tr- can you be trusted in clutch time situations where you, where your quarterback needs to have the receiver make a play? The best way I can explain this or compare it to is is Michael Thomas. So a few years ago, Michael Thomas set the single season rece- reception record. He had like 147 receptions, something like that. Great, he's a great receiver. But in the postseason, when Drew Brees was there. And they needed to make a play. They needed a big pass to win the game, to extend a drive. Michael Thomas was never really that guy that could get it done, despite being an all-pro, despite the the stats that were there. Justin Jefferson is a complete opposite. He is a baller. He is a dude. And he is fantastic. That was an absolute... It was jaw-dropping. It's the best catch. It's better than the Odell catch, in my opinion. A big part of that is the fact that Odell Beckham's catch came in a loss. It was a fantastic catch, don't get me wrong, but they lost. This was on 4th and 18, two minutes to go in the fourth quarter. If he doesn't catch this, if he doesn't secure it, game's over. It's against what is at the time was the number one seed in the AFC, on the road, in a hostile environment, when in bad conditions. And he just went up and got it. Oh my God, Justin Jefferson is a baller. He is that dude, and that was that was amazing. I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I could rant forever, but I just I wanted to really just describe that catch and how amazing it truly was. 
So after that catch, Minnesota gets to the goal line. Cousins and Jefferson hook up again, and it's initially ruled a touchdown. I thought it was a touchdown, and I'm again I'm celebrating, thinking the game is over. And then they they review it and correctly determined he was down at like the one yard line. That was a great job by the officiating to make sure and get that right. It was really good. And Minnesota just they can't help themselves. The play calling I didn't love in the goal line. The whole the whole game I wasn't a huge fan of some of the the play calling. The big thing is if they would try and run the ball, I felt like a lot of times they would do it out of shotgun. But then there's a time where they try and run the ball, an offensive lineman steps on Kirk Cousins' foot, so he just falls backwards. I mean, it was – that's why head coaching and play cons so hard in the NFL. Regardless, it's fourth and goal. Fourth and goal. Cousins has a lane to his right. It's a passive play. He's He could run to the end zone to his right. He looks – and Cook is there. He throws the ball to Cook. He bobbles it like three or four times. He catches it, and he's worried about getting hit and making a move. And incomplete, game would be over. Except for there's a flag because Buffalo jumped off sides in a really, really obvious bad way. So they move the ball up to like the half-yard line, and they go for a quarterback sneak. Now, normally, a quarterback sneak in this spot, would you would think, would just be money. be guaranteed touchdown, right? When I'm watching this, I'm like, I don't know if I love Kirk Cousins in this spot. He's not super athletic. I just, I don't, Buffalo's defensive line is really good. I think I would want to try and do something on the edge with a fast running back as opposed to running up the middle. It's super close, and Cousins is down at like, the. it's like the three-inch line. Like, he's right there, super close. Again, the officials do a good job of spotting the ball. They stuff him. And I'm thinking the game's over. I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, that's a like it was a really good game. These are these are the thoughts I'm having at this spot as Buffalo's getting ready with like I think there's 47 seconds left in the game. I'm like, okay, that was a great game. Uh, that was tough. Minnesota had this great drive. It's kind of a bummer that this Justin Jefferson catch isn't gonna count for a win. And then my dad, my dad is just a genius. He, he looks at me and he's like, they should think about taking a safety, an intentional safety. And I look at him and I'm like, yo, you know what? Maybe they should. Maybe maybe they should take the safety. Because, yeah, they get the Minnesota would get the ball back, but they would have to, you know, 45 seconds to try and score a touchdown. And do you really think they can do that? Or you get into field goal range? And my dad, in his wisdom, said Don Shula would, and he talked about how the Dolphins did it against, I think it was the Pittsburgh Steelers, how it took an intentional safety, playing chess. Instead, my dad, my dad's just right about football. He doesn't say much, but he just seems like he's always right about football. They go for a quarterback sneak, which is the right play to do, because Josh Allen is one of your best runners. He's a big dude. You're backed up. You just need to get to like the two yard line. Cause you can't do obviously a, if you do a, a quarterback kneel, it's a safety, which they probably should have done. Quarterback sneak goes horribly wrong as Josh Allen. This is all in Josh Allen. When he fumbles the snap, the center does a good job of getting the ball to him. Josh Allen is probably thinking too much, probably trying too hard, trying to do too much. He fumbles the snap and Minnesota recovers it, and it's a touchdown. It's a touchdown. I, I'm watching the game, and I am I think at that point, I had to stood up from our couch in our basement. I was walking around. I think I was going to go upstairs, maybe to use the bathroom or something, and I, I'm kind of watching it as I'm going up there, and I see just mayhem at the, at the goal line, just mayhem, bodies everywhere, everyone's screaming, and I look, and I'm like, wait, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Is Minnesota going to get a touchdown here? And they did. They did. They got a touchdown. They're now up, and I'm screaming. I'm hollering. I'm clapping. And my wife just does not appreciate it because I'm so belligerently loud. And I think the game's over at this point because they're up up by three points. And this is just this is just ridiculous. This is just ridiculous. I'm like, how, how does Josh Allen choke like that? Those are two really, really bad turnovers. 
but the game wasn't over. Buffalo gets the ball back. Minnesota does the god-awful prevent defense, which is just the the worst thing you could do. They gave uh, a lot of uh, cushion to the receivers. They let Josh Allen do whatever he wanted to do, and Buffalo gets in the field goal range, and we go to overtime. Before we go to overtime, I do want to talk about one thing. That Gabe Davis catch was like a 22-yard catch. It, It wasn't a catch. It wasn't a catch. He he bobbled it as he was going uh, out of bounds. How how did the replay officials not stop the ball there? Stop the game there? Because we're under two minutes. The only people that can challenge uh, a play is like the review booth. It's like kind of like NFL corporate can do it. A, a, a pass that's that big, that impactful on a game, that huge. And that close, like it was at the at the at the start, you knew it was a close catch, and you're thinking we need to double check that. That was what I said when I watched. It. I'm like, oh, I don't know if he caught it. I didn't think he caught it. We need we need to check it. We need to check it. We need to make sure we get the call right. And the official or the the replay officials upstairs, they didn't do it. Why? That's a question I want to know. I want to know why the game wasn't stopped. I know Buffalo got to the line really quick to make sure that and get the get a snap off so they couldn't stop it. But they should know immediately, like immediately to stop and just look at that look at that pass. Cuz that would have been incomplete and who knows where the rest of the game goes. But we get to overtime. Minnesota wins the coin toss and they have a really good drive. They have a lot of good like mix of pass and run. They get to the five-yard line after Cousins makes an incredible pass to none other than Justin Jefferson. Like, he just, this was a great catch, but it really was a fantastic pass that Cousins threw just right on a rope, threw some defenders, and Justin Jefferson catches the ball. And I'm like, once again, once again, I'm just like, what the, Justin Jefferson is just like, of course he catches it. Like, throw the ball to him, of course he catches it. Some shaky play calling. The Minnesota Vikings move backwards after they started inside the five-yard line and have to settle for a field goal. And at this point, I'm thinking, okay, Buffalo's going to win. They had some really good momentum before. This is Buffalo's time to shine. Everybody knows that it's been talked to death about how the Buffalo Bills have the worst record in the National Football League in close games. It seems like they they are great when they're up 14, up 10 points. They're fantastic. But if it's a close game, they don't play well. They choke. They have a hard time putting games away. They make a lot of mistakes. A big turning point really was against Kansas City a few weeks ago where it was a close game against a top opponent on the road, and they won. And a lot of people kind of felt, okay, this is, this is a chance for Buffalo to really kind of correct that narrative about the team that they can't win close games this is his chance this is josh allen's chance to put a stamp a huge rubber permanent stamp on his mvp candidacy because remember heading into the season josh allen was the overwhelming favorite to be the mvp it was kind of nauseating actually how much talk and praise and hype this Buffalo Bills team got and how much Josh Allen got. Now, look, they're a great team. I really do like the Buffalo Bills. I, I really do. But the talk about this team was that they were going to go undefeated and that Josh Allen was going to have, like, what, the greatest single season for any quarterback in the history of the league. Like, it, the histrionics on this was ridiculous. But here is his chance to get the MVP have a fantastic drive, and really make it super difficult for Patrick Mahomes to get the MVP from him. Because it's really a two-person race. At this point in time, on Sunday afternoon, it's a two-person race between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. And Josh Allen has a lot of narrative, and narrative is really important with MVP voters. They like a good story. More so in the NBA, but still in the NFL, they want a good story. He beat Patrick Mahomes head-to-head, and it felt like if he can go on this fantastic game, march down the field and get a touchdown and win the game. Oh, man. This is his chance. Prove it. That's what I tweeted out. I said, prove it. Prove it, Josh Allen. 
This is your chance to to really steal the MVP. Prove it. Prove everyone wrong that says, all the doubters wrong that say, you know what, you can't win close games. You can't win tight games. You can't, we don't trust you in the fourth quarters and in overtime for drives to win a game. This was it. And it started pretty good, but it wasn't with Josh Allen's arm. It wasn't. I don't think he completed a single pass. Maybe he completed one or two, but it really was with his legs. He ran the ball. He had two huge, huge uh, scrambles that brought them into field goal range and further and further into field goal range. And at, at this point, I'm watching it, and I'm like, okay, game's over. They're in field goal range. It's going to be a you know worst-case scenario. They're going to kick a field goal, and with the amount of time that was left, it could very well end in a, in a tie, which would just be a crime. If this game had ended in a tie, it would just be an uh, an atrocity, a crime against uh, the, the National Football League. But it felt like they were going to get a touchdown because Minnesota's defense, as great as they had been, they just sometimes you just can't have enough. And then uh, Josh Allen just does what Josh Allen does. He throws in a double coverage, finds Patrick Peterson, who plays for the Minnesota Vikings, picks him off. He runs out of the end zone for a minute and then realizes, hey, guess what? I don't need to run it. He, he downed himself. Game over. Wow. Wow. What a game that was. It should have ended about seven different times. I don't know the exact number, but it feels like it was at least seven different times where the game should have ended. The game was like, oh, yeah, that's it. And you'd feel satisfied. Nope, there's more, and there's more, and there's more. We had a a true coming out party for Justin Jefferson as the the true elite wide receiver number one. Like, who who are the other best receivers? You're going to say it's uh, Tyree Kill? I, I, I'll, buy, I'll buy that. And who's the other one? Stephon Diggs? Those, those are the three best receivers in the league right now because Cooper Cup's not in the race right now, unfortunately, and neither is Devontae Adams with how they've played this year. Oh, I'm taking, if I'm starting a team for one year, I'm taking Justin Jefferson before I'm taking those two dudes. I just am. Um, he just balled out. And no offense, Stefan Diggs is amazing. Tyreek Hill is amazing. Justin Jefferson was, was phenomenal. He was fantastic. Minnesota, we now, we now have to talk about Minnesota as being a, a threat in the NFC, despite the fact that they've had all their wins against teams that aren't great. I think they've had one, heading into this week, they had one win against a team with a winning record, and that was Washington, who is a real up-and-down, uncertain kind of team. You have to. You have to. As much as I have a hard time trusting Cousins, you have to because they went into Buffalo, one of the hardest places to play. And look, I don't want to piss off a fan base by ranking which stadiums are the hardest to play in because everyone knows Arrowhead is tough. Everyone knows Buffalo's tough. There's Seattle, Pittsburgh, New Orleans, Green Bay. Like, there's so many tough places. But Buffalo, especially on Sunday, was insane. And you come back down 17 points with 17 minutes to go. I don't feel a ton better about Cousins, but I feel all really good about Minnesota's defense because they adjusted in the second half. And outside, if you take away the last drive of regulation, which was just garbage by Minnesota's defense, they played phenomenal. They, 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 were, they, were, they were fantastic. They were fantastic. The adjustments that they made at halftime completely changed the flow of the game because it took Minnesota's offense a couple tries to get going in the second half. The thing they kept Minnesota in the game was the defense not letting Buffalo score. They didn't have a second-half touchdown. That's huge. So we have to talk about Minnesota as being the second-best team in the NFC. We have to. And and where does this leave Buffalo? Heading into the week, they were the number one seed. Guess where they are now? I think they're the sixth seed in the playoffs, and they are in third in their division. From the one seed to third in your division, 
I I have a hard time because Buffalo does have a tough schedule. They definitely are. I don't have the schedule right in front of me. Let me see if I could pull it up really quick. They don't have like a gauntlet necessarily to go through, but it is a tougher schedule. And they're not, I don't think they're going to get the one seed because the Chiefs have a fairly easy schedule. And I think Kansas City's better. We are getting to kind of a roller coaster feel for what Buffalo is. The loss to the Jets the week before was pretty bad. I'm not going to murder them for losing to the the Vikings, but it's still it's losses in back to back weeks. They play uh, Cleveland next week. That should be fine. Then they have Detroit. That's easy. The Patriots. I think is going to be a tough one because remember Buffalo hasn't won a division game yet. They play the Jets after that. That's not going to be a gimme. They play Miami, who's already beaten them, and Miami is only looking better and better. Followed by a trip to Chicago with Justin. That team is not good, but Justin Field is amazing. Then they go to Cincinnati, who's going to be playing for a playoff spot. And then you end up against hosting New England. Those are tough games. You look at what the last six or seven games. It's Patriots, Jets, Dolphins, Bears, Bengals, uh, Patriots. That's not easy. That's not a uh, a gimme. That's not a cakewalk. They're going to have to fight and claw for some wins to get through there. I'm not saying they're going to miss the playoffs because they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be fine in that aspect. But are they going to get the bye? They're not because guess who? The number one team, number one seed, Kansas City. They Next week, they play the Chargers. That's going to be a tough game. But then it's Rams. They're terrible. Cincinnati, okay, that'll be tough. Broncos is a gimme. Texans is a gimme. Seattle will be a little tough. Broncos, Raiders. Looking at that schedule, there's three teams, three game, three tough games. Chargers, Bengals, Seahawks. And I would assume that Kansas City is going to be favored in all of those. But those so Kansas City almost has the one seed locked up. Buffalo needs to be working really hard at just winning their division. I think this erases any chance that Josh Allen has for the MVP because he has had a lot of turnovers. He cost uh, his team two wins. He played very poorly against the Jets with those turnovers that lost lead, led to them losing. And then here, like even if Buffalo would have won this game, I would not have felt great about Josh Allen because of the turnovers, because of the lack of clutchness. It just felt like he's trying too hard. And I want Josh Allen to be good. If the Buffalo Bills make it to the Super Bowl, I'm going to want them to win. It's just, I don't, right now things aren't looking great. I think they're going to be able to correct some things. But don't be surprised if their record starts to dip because they do have a very tough rest of their schedule. All right, I know this podcast is going a little long, and I've spent an absurd amount of time talking about the game of the year between Minnesota and Buffalo. Let's really quick talk about just a couple other games to kind of wrap up this episode. To kind of tie in what I was mentioning before, the Chiefs are the best team in the league. The best team in the league. Easy. Market. No team strikes more fear into my heart as an opponent than the Kansas City Chiefs. No quarterback is more terrifying than Patrick Mahomes. The defense is actually playing really well. They're getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback. The O-line is good. The receivers are amazing. Uh, I want to talk really quick about Kadarius Toney, the new wide receiver for Kansas City. Uh, I mean, what 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 a steal of a trade that was already. It's already paying dividends. I think it was a third-round pick and a sixth-round pick to New York, to the Giants, for Toney who was a first-round draft pick in the 2021 draft. This dude is in just his second year, and it was looking like he was a bust for the Giants. And when he was picked in the first round, he uh, the pick was kind of made fun of. It was like a bad pick by the Giants. Big surprise there, Giants making a bad draft pick in the first round. He had a lot of, I think, uh, character off the field kind of issues and concerns. Really wasn't fitting well in, with New York. A lot of that has to do with our quarterback play in New York. And just after a couple of games, a couple of weeks with the team in Kansas City after he gets traded, he has a massive impact on the team. The, the Chiefs just get scarier and scarier. What he was able to do just opens up the playbook 
for Kansas City to be more creative, more explosive, and more dangerous because Tony is a crazy good athlete that can really open up kind of a deep threat, big play kind of guy, kind of game that they have kind of been struggling with since they uh, they traded uh, Tyreek Hill. That was a great trade. Now, are the Chiefs perfect? No. Do they have issues running the ball? Yes. Are they prone to dumb turnovers? Yes. We saw that against Jacksonville. But this is still the last team I would want to play in the postseason. The last team. Mahomes is the clear MVP so far. It is his award to lose. Josh Allen fumbled and threw away the MVP on Sunday. And really, there is no one close to Patrick Mahomes. No one. That team is really good. I do want to talk really quick about Dallas and Green Bay. I, I swear, I talk about the Green Bay Packers in every single uh, podcast. I've been dumping on them for weeks, so I need to give them their due. They won a game. The Green Bay Packers won a game. Good job, Green Bay. They beat a very good Dallas team that I thought was the second best team in the NFC. All right, all right, all right, all right let's be honest here. Dallas did play poorly. But Green Bay got the win. They ran the ball unbelievably well. The defense did just enough. And the big takeaway for me, and I know it got kind of talked to death on the telecast, but the big takeaway for me for Green Bay is that there seems to be a connection that is being born, a relationship being forged between Aaron Rodgers and one of his receivers, where he can finally trust him. And that's in Christian Watson. The first round draft, uh, the rookie, not sure if he was in the first or second round. He was a rookie wide receiver. He had four huge catches for three big touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers, all the season so far, really doesn't seem to have trusted a single wide receiver. It does feel like there is some connection going there. So that's really good for the Packers where Rodgers seems to be able to trust a receiver. And hopefully for the Packers, they'll be able to expand their, their passing game moving forward. But is this too little too late? Did, did they lose too many games in a row to make a run? I, I think so. I think the season's probably over. But, hey, maybe it's maybe it's good for next year. We don't know. Also, Green Bay's formula for winning, that they, they nailed it in this game against Dallas. They ran the hell out of the ball. Aaron Jones is the best player on that team. He had 24 carries for 138 yards. That's almost six yards a carry. Just give him the ball every time. And you'll move the chains, and you'll get first downs, you'll keep Dallas offense on the sideline, and you'll win the game. That's the the recipe for the Packers to win isn't super complicated. With Matt LaFleur's offense being a, a guru, it's a very simple premise. Run the ball effectively. You bring in linebackers closer in the box. Maybe safeties start to drop. Play action. Open up the passing game. Simple. And Aaron Rodgers can do that phenomenally. Now for Dallas, I just want to talk really quick. I know this podcast is going for for a long period of time. I want to talk about that overtime drive. Everyone is talking about Dallas going for it on fourth down. It was uh, It was fourth and four. That was the right decision. The right decision was to go for it on fourth and four because I think it'd be a 53-yard field goal. It's cold. It's Lambo, Lambo. It's really hard to kick there. I get it. You're the visiting team. You don't want to just kind of play for a little tie. You you want to, to win the game, and that was the right decision. What I don't like is what the, the play call on fourth down and on third down. What you do, if I'm the head coach in this spot, it's third and four, and I know in my head, back of my head, okay, as long as we don't lose yards here, I'm going for it on fourth down. Like you have that kind of in your head. So you're in four down territory, so you need two plays to gain four yards. What have the Cowboys been doing really well all night long? Well, was running the ball. They were running the ball really well with Tony Pollard. So I'd run it on third down. Maybe you get two yards. Maybe you get three yards. You might get the whole first down, but you know, you let's say you get two yards. So now it's fourth and two. 
instead of fourth and four. And now everything opens up. I would still run the ball again, but it's way more easy or way more manageable to do fourth and two than fourth and four. Everyone's getting mad at, at him for going for it. He slammed his headset. Look, you go for it in that spot. I don't like the play call. You run the ball. You run the ball both times. Uh, on really quick to Monday night's game. The Commanders going to the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles were, I believe, like 11-point favorites, somewhere around that range, depending on which sports better you look at. That's that's big. 11-point favorites is huge. I, I remember thinking, like, oh, Philly should win this easily. I, I watch a lot of Washington games. They are my, uh, I live in their market, and I watch them a lot. And I'm like, Philly's a better team. They should be able to win this game. Well, how good is Philly? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. How good is this team actually? They didn't look great on Thursday, last week, against the Texans, who are just one of the worst teams in the league. I know they won by like 12 points, but at one point it was tied in the second half. Didn't feel great. They've had some moments that they just haven't looked as elite as we would hope, given their undefeated record. The thing to take away is that heading into the season with Philadelphia, there was a lot of smart money being bet on Philly to be the one seed in the NFC. Now, a lot of that had to do with the fact that the roster is really good. They have a really good roster, a really good defense. They got uh, A.J. Brown, who's a fantastic wide receiver. But a big part of the reason this was bet was the schedule was really soft. They look at it and like, man, this is a really easy schedule where they could just cakewalk. They might go 10, 11, 12 wins in a very weak NFC and just Win it by default. Now, here are Philly's wins. Week one, they win by three against the Lions. Lions are one of the worst teams in the league and the worst defense of all time. They destroy the Vikings. That was a good win there. Minnesota did kind of shoot themselves in the foot quite a bit, but that was a big win there. They beat Washington pretty well. They sneak past Jacksonville when Jacksonville had like six turnovers or something like that. A lot of it were were self-inflicted wounds. You almost lose to the Cardinals, who are a terrible team. That game should have gone to overtime, but a missed field goal ended it. You beat Dallas with a backup quarterback after you let the get back into the game. You destroy a bad Steelers team, and then you beat Houston. I mean, where... What's the game that stands out? Where's your statement win? They're still a great team. I still like Philadelphia quite a bit. I have them as the best team in the NFC. But they're getting talked about and raved about so much as being a true elite, elite powerhouse team. I don't see it. They're not the best team in the league. And they're, you look at their games and nothing, nothing screams that they're head and shoulders better than every team in the league. And they lost. Washington played really good football. Their defense was really, really good. They kept um, forcing turnovers and and to try and got Philadelphia off of the field. The Washington offense had a fantastic running game. The time of possession difference was uh, absolutely massive. And a lot of people are simply gravitating towards the roughing the passer call at the end of the game. That's where. A lot of people seem to be just kind of stuck on that, that roughing the passer call. They're saying, how could you call that? You didn't know he was down. You can't just get 15 yards at the end of the game. You just have to tackle him. Da, 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 da. No, it was the right call. It was 100% the right call. Taylor Heineke, for people that aren't watching, it's towards the end of the game. They need, If Washington gets a first down, the game is over. But they don't get the first down. The play just kind of collapses as Heineke's rolling to his right. He looks and he's like, crap, there's nothing here. The last thing I want to do is force a pass to either get a turnover or even just an incomplete pass to stop the clock. Don't run out of bounds. So the play was designed that if there's nothing there, take a knee. Give, you know, the, the term is give yourself up. You know, he, he slides down, takes a knee, gives himself up, saying, hey, play's over. The referees blow the whistle. You can hear the referees blowing the whistle dead. And then not one, but two Philadelphia defenders come crashing into him. You can make the argument that they're trying to stop 
They're trying to change their momentum, but he had so clearly given himself up, kneeling down, whistle blown. You hit a quarterback. After the whistle's blown, you have to throw the flag. You absolutely have to throw the flag. I don't have any, I don't have any issues with the officiating there. That was the right call. It was easy. It was right in front of the referee. Tara Heineke wasn't trying to get a roughing the passer call. You could see that he just he kneeled down and then he gets hit and he's like he's looking at the ref like you have to throw that like that was so obvious and he was surprised he couldn't believe it he could not believe that that they they hit him and they got a fresh set of downs they still had to punt and uh, the Philadelphia Eagles had like I don't know five seconds for that one play that they tried the lateral and they fumbled it and then Washington scored on a touchdown and just put the icing on the cake. Philly didn't lose that game because of the roughing the passer call. They lost because the running game for Washington dominated. The time of possession battle was like two to one. They turned the ball over. Look, is there a bad officiating in the league? Yes. Were there bad calls in that game? Yes, on both sides. But that was the right call. That was the correct call. And now we don't have any more undefeated teams. The Dolphins can now pop their champagne and celebrate. Wow, what a week of football we had. I mean, this podcast, this episode's probably going on close to an hour, and I didn't even get a chance to talk about how exciting Justin Fields is, or how pathetic the Raiders are, or how abysmal the Rams are. Or are, are the Rams the worst defending Super Bowl champ of all time? Or, or I didn't talk about how good the Dolphins are, and how Tua is somehow looking like a dark horse MVP candidate. There's just so much good stuff going on right now with this week that I didn't have time to put into this podcast. But really, fantastic football. So exciting to watch. So exciting to present that to you on this podcast. Thank you again for watching. Again, if you enjoy the show, please leave a, a rating, a review, follow, subscribe, do all those things. Follow me on Twitter at unbiasedfan. That's all one word. I'm trying to grow this channel, grow this passion project, make this into something bigger than it currently is. And I can only do that with the support of everyone that's listening. Thank you again. And I will see you next time on the Unbiased Fan Podcast.